I have a question for you. How many of you are wearing something, an item of clothing that you were given at Christmas? Just put up your hand. Let's just stand up. Give us a twirl. Show us what it is. There you go. Look at his Christmas jumper. Thank you, Tom. This gentleman here. That's great. Lovely. A lovely scarf. Well, I am wearing a Christmas shirt. It's taken me uh, two weeks to get around to wearing it. I hate new clothes, you know, which is why I look so raggy as a <laughs> I hate new clothes. And Fliss bought me this, and she sort of gave it me with, with a blessing, but a threat. Wear it, she said. You know? <laughs> so it's like she blessed me. So here we are. I'm in my, uh, I'm feeling good. I got a new pair, it, you know, I survived the experience of putting a new shirt on, although I think I managed to crumple it. It looks quite old, doesn't it? But it's actually brand new. Uh, I, I want to just welcome you again if you're visiting, uh, and I also want to uh, uh, correct something in, in the nicest of possible ways. Uh, I think I said to our leaders meeting, was, a lot of our leaders met during the week to, to, to just hear about the year and you know, about our plans to get more buildings and stuff like that, which are entirely driven by uh, you know, God's work amongst us. But I said to them that this week we had 94 clients at our feed ministry, which was a record. I was wrong. I stand corrected. And Carol, our feed manager, uh, sent me this little email. And uh, we have actually, this week, we, we fed 120 people, families, and what have you. That is a record. Um, Another example, you know, a very tangible example of, of the why we need to build a sort of, you know, feed center, compassion center across the road next door or whatever, just to honor the poor. The Bible says if we honor the poor, God honors us, you know. He's very, you know, the measure of, of good religion, if I dare use that word, is, is it's the quality of its worship and its compassion for the poor. And we want to get those, we want to tick those boxes, you know. I, in fact, I want to read you a little email here. Um, has anybody got a pair of reader glasses? Because I left mine at home. Very well prepared. Anybody got a pair of glasses they can lend me? Thank you. I shall wear Linda's fetching glasses. <laughs> Linda, they, need, they really, really need those kind of spiky things on either side, you know, like they had in the 50s. Okay, here we go. Thank you. New shirt, new look, you know. That's doing well, new year. Okay, it says here, uh, this was one email, and honestly, we get emails throughout, you know, throughout the week, the month. Uh, I just wanted to read this one. This was a lady from Diane, from the family, who's a family support worker for Sopwell and Verulam Children's Center. And uh, she said, uh, good afternoon, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. I just wanted to send you an email to thank you for your kindness just before Christmas. The food which you provided for one of our families made such a difference to them. It literally was the difference between them eating and not eating, as when I went to visit, they were down to their last tin of sweet corn. I know that you have made a huge difference to many local families, and thank God that there are people like you out there to help. Please extend my thanks to all the lovely ladies, the gentlemen, and la ladies and gentlemen, sorry, who helped me get supplies together and into my car. Hope we can work together much more in the future, and even if we can be assistance to you, please let us know. Best wishes for 2014 and beyond. Give the Lord, give yourselves a clap. How wonderful. So we've kind of hit the, the year running. I mean, we only ever do life running, I have to say, but, but we've hit the, the year running. And uh, 
I want to just show you a little film clip which we've been showing these last two weeks. It's sort of gone along with this, uh, this series we've called Stretch, a kind of introductory to, uh, series to 2014. So uh, Matt uh, and Scott, if we can just run that video just to set us up for the Word of God. Welcome to the new year. So over the last two weeks, and this is the third in the series, we began with with stretch one, which was uh, the need for us to wake up. And I, I gave you seven pointers then as to how we can you know, make the most of what God is doing in our lives, how we can embrace what he's doing and, and really take on what's happening in the world and sort of get ourselves in that position to avail ourselves of everything that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has, has for us today. Last week, it was stretched, the church stretching, the need to stretch. A church like us is capable of so much. You know, when we started the church 25 years ago, as you well know, you know, we had nothing, but God is faithful and God came through. And, and we are presenting ourselves as a community in God's, into God's presence and saying, Lord, this is what we are. This is what we have. Use us, Lord God. And, and the scriptures say, to whom much is given, much is expected. So God is expecting us to do great things in his name. And as we do that, even then, it will appear as five loaves and two fishes to him, and a miracle will happen, and God will do great things. Remember that little quote from St. Francis of Assisi? You know, do that which is necessary, then do that which is possible, and before you know it, you're doing the impossible. That's a great quotable quote. Today, I want to talk about the third stretch, and that really is, as much as anything, a prayer and it's, it's asking God to stretch out his hand. God, stretch out your hand. Lord, we want to be alive. We want to be awake. Church, we want to be alive. We want to be awake. Lord, Lord, will you, will you rise up? You know, like, like the morning sun, Lord, will you rise upon us? And will you stretch out your hand? And this, if you were to Google this or use a concordance, if you were to, to, to just put that into a, a little search engine and put stretch out your hand, you will see there are 20, 30, goodness knows how many references to that actual phrase, stretch out your hand, O Lord. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. There are two which I want to quickly refer to uh, and, and almost to get them out of the way before I get on to my final point. The first one then is, is in the scripture when the Lord talks about stretching out his hand, it's usually in judgment to be, to be honest. Let's just look at Exodus uh, 15, 12. Thank you, Matt. And it says there in Exodus 15, 12, now, Lord, you know, stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. And that's a bit of a reference, a little bit of a, a look back to that deliverance that God worked for the children of Israel as they escaped. A slave nation escaped from the, the clutches of the Egyptians. And, and as they escaped, uh, you know, prior to that, as many of you, not all of you, but many of you will know, the Lord kind of poured out plagues on the Egyptians to soften them up and then finally uh, caused them to, to release the, the, the slave nation, the Hebrews as they were called. Uh, and, and so the Lord, it says, stretched out his hand. And there are many references to the Lord stretching out his hand in judgment. And then, of course, as the Israelites escaped, they fled across the Red Sea. <coughs> excuse me, the Red Sea. Excuse me. <coughs> 
the Red Sea, which parted and they traveled through. And then as they went through, so the Egyptians followed, the Egyptian army followed, and then the Lord swallowed them up. The, 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 uh, it was, uh, the waves came and they were all drowned and this great army full of pride and prowess and, and all fully equipped and glinting in the morning sunlight, no doubt, was wiped out. Uh, this sort of judgment fell upon them and, and the pride they had in, in the strength of their arm, as it were, and God's arm proved to be stronger. So there is this reference and this kind of referencing back to God's deliverance. Uh, and, and, and I think it's, it's worth mentioning, not just because it honors the text, but we need to remind ourselves about the business that we're about. I'm always saying this to our leaders and to our staff. You know, the reason that I get up here week by week is not just because I love you and I love God, and I hope I love do both those things. It's because very, very, very early on, one of the first things I learned about the Christian faith is that God is a savior, and that Jesus Christ came to save us from an eternal hell. You know, and there is a judgment that is at work in the world today. You know, I watched a program last night on TV about uh, our, our extraordinary weather. That's not the title, but somebody may have seen it. It was on the TV. It was about the last three years of weather that we've had in this country. And we've been having some really bizarre weather. And I, I couldn't help but wonder whether there was not some sort of spiritual, supernatural thing going on that God wasn't actually just just it displaying his power in order to humble us to some degree. And, and, and you know, it reminded me that, that you know, this isn't just tra- training bods to be nice people and good neighbors. You know, that, that's such a, the lowest common denominator. You know, uh, what, what, what we're doing here is that we are working to see people's eternal destinies changed. Because without Christ, we, we have a very, very, bleak and gloomy and indeed horrifying future because God is coming to judge the sin in the world and that's ongoing. So, you know, in fairness to the text, but also to remind us that what we do here is not just about being nice, not just about being good neighbors and saving somebody from a sweet corn dinner. What we're doing here is trying to model what it is to be, to have a foretaste of heaven. Let's set the bar high to model what God is doing and indeed the transformation that his Holy Spirit works within us when we surrender our lives to Christ. So that's the first thing. When, when we talk about God stretching out his hand, it's, it's more commonly in the scriptures to do with God judging the nations. And don't think for a minute that this nation is excluded from that judgment. The second thing is protection. The scripture asks, you know, time and again, the scripture refers to people praying, asking God to stretch out his hand to protect them. And uh, let's just look at Psalm 138, verse 7 here. Uh, And it says here, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. So as far as God's people is concerned, God raises his hand to protect and keep us. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they they comfort me, they guide and comfort me. And there are are many uh, examples in the scriptures, and there are many testimonies in this place of God's extraordinary care, loving kindness, and provision. 
I had somebody come up to me during the week, and they were very excited. They're a single person, and, and um, you know, uh, they, they uh, very low income, and, and they, they got up this morning, that morning, this particular morning, it was Tuesday, and they were mortified because their washing machine had broken down during the night. They sent to set their washing off during the night, and it had broken down. They had absolutely no money to repair that. And, and this person, relatively new Christian, relatively new Christian, said, oh, God, I know that you've got very much more important things to do, but if you can find your way to you know, fixing my washing machine or anything, I'd be so grateful. And, and then she, she left the, the house, and a, 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 somebody came up to her and said, um, uh, you don't know anyone who needs a washing machine, do you? <laughs> you know... God is the God of the nations, and he's the God of washing machines as well. You know, I, I, I love it that he, he deigns to do that. You know, our God is a humble God. And, and there, so there's testimonies of God's loving kindness, his protection, his provision amongst his people. You know, not just in the book, and that's the first place we should go, but amongst us too, you know, incredibly specific Things. I remember an occasion years and years ago when we just started in the ministry, our, our Hoover broke down. And uh, Fliss did some research, and I seem to, I don't know why, I, I think the, it was 138 quid. Does that ring a bell with you? I don't know, whatever. Fliss did some research, and the Hoover she wanted was 138. The one I wanted was 29.95, but that's another story, you know. The one she wanted was 138 quid. And I said, sweetheart, we just don't have that in the budget. We, we, you know, we, we do not have the money. And then, I, then we got a, a gift through the, the door that morning, Saturday morning. And it was 138 quid. And the person said, I don't know why, but I thought I should give you 138 quid. I'm sorry, it sounds a bit weird to me. My wife did a, 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 an Irish jig in the kitchen <laughs> and sort of you know, said rude things to me. No, she didn't, you know. God wants me to have a 138 pound hoop and she went out and bought it and I remember that thing. Was it that, that sort of dome thing that was sort of hovered or something like that? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. These, these details make life interesting, don't they? Or otherwise. God protects us. And in the scriptures we read of God protecting his people and very often the terminology there is, Lord, stretch out your hand to protect us. Uh, and so, you know, in, in, in honoring God's word and being true to his word, I wanted to uh, bring that to your attention. But the one I really want to land on today is in uh, Acts chapter 4. And perhaps if you've brought your Bible or you have it on your Blackberry, if you'd like to uh, turn uh, with me to that. And uh, so we've had judgment, we've had protection, and now it's power. I want to actually talk about power. And Acts chapter 4, 21. And uh, I, I actually said, Matt, that I would go as far as the end of the chapter, but you know, I think I'm just going to take it down to verse 31, otherwise I shall get distracted. Okay, so let's just read this. Let me just tell you what's happened here. The book of Acts, as many of you will know, uh, is the story of the early church. It's this, but absolutely post-Jesus, post-Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. It's the story of the early church. And uh, the first few chapters, really up to about chapter 7 of the book of Acts, are full of just the most amazing stories. It's just obviously a wonderful season of God's favor and blessing. And, and uh, it begins with Peter preaching after the day of Pentecost where they have this extraordinary experience, this encounter with God that empowers them. 
Uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, I want you to you know, take the good news of, of, of me to the world. But uh, wait, wait, hang on, wait until you receive power from on high. And at, at the festival of Pentecost, the Jewish festival of Pentecost, where all the believers were gathered together, the Spirit of God kind of fell on them in an, an extraordinary power encounter. And at, following that, there was a kind of a revival, what we might call a revival broke out. The, suddenly they, the, the, they couldn't contain the, the joy and the, the extraordinary message of the gospel, you know, about deliverance from judgment. You know, if you feel that there's shame and judgment on your life, if you've ever wondered that whether or not you're cursed or anything like that, you know, you can walk out from underneath that black cloud. And all you've got to do is call upon the name of Jesus, ask his forgiveness and ask him into your life and then set your heart, your mind to, to, to work uh, to, and to walk in his, in, in the light of his life. You know, become a Christian basically. But it begins with that, that kind of seeking his face and asking God to forgive you. So what happened here was that this, you know, thousands of people come to Christ. Thousands of people. And then something happens that, that, that you know, really rattles the authorities. Up until this point, the, the, the authorities, the religious authorities in particular, I have to say, shame on them, they're kind of back-footed. They don't quite know what to happen. They thought they got rid of this kind of Jesus, this troublemaker. And the next thing, they, uh, there are all these little Jesuses running around, as it were, these followers of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did. And the whole city is talking about it. The whole city is kind of alive with what, what's happening. And then something very, very notable happens. Uh, and what happens is that that Peter and a couple of, his, of the other disciples were on their way to the temple to pray, this great temple in the middle of Jerusalem. And there's this, um, I, I don't use the word beggar, but you know what I mean. There's a beggar that sat at the, the, the gates, and he's begging, asking for, for alms, as they call it. And he has been crippled for over 40 years. You know, he was born like that, as far as we know, and he has been crippled for that length of time. And this beggar sort of, you know, as they do, is sort of holding up his hand asking for, for a gift, some financial uh, uh, consideration. And, and, and Peter says to him, he says, silver and gold I don't have. Sorry, chum, you're out of luck. But what I do have I will give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he kind of took the man by the hand and pulled him to his feet. And the guy was healed. And everybody knew this guy. Everybody. So it wasn't some sort of little out-of-the-way thing, you know, I think, you know, Auntie Sally who lives in Solihull might have got healed of something or other. You know, this was somebody that everybody knew. And this guy is, is on his feet celebrating, and nobody misses it. And it just goes through the community like wildfire. Well, the, the religious authorities are really beginning to get disturbed now because this seems to be a, a kind of a, a lay people driven, grassroots type of thing, uh, which is happening in spite of them. And, and they get kind of really kind of spooked by the whole thing. So Peter and John, the guys who were involved in this thing, they get arrested. And they get examined. It's like a court thing. And they, they get this sort of, sort of you know, whole great in, inquisition type thing. You know, by whose authority did you do this? And blah, 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 blah. And so it goes on. Anyway, in the end, you know, Peter and John, they're not intimidated. You know, they're just ordinary men. It says, it says that uh, the authorities took note that they had been with Jesus. There was something about them whereby... They kind of had that same kind of confidence that Jesus had. You know, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall in that meeting. It would have been wonderful. 
But they took note that he'd been with Jesus. And basically, at the end of it all, all they could do was sort of threaten them. So they kind of threatened them and they said, don't ever do this again. And, you know, or there will be trouble, sort of nonspecific, unspecified. But you will regret it. You know, you'll rue the day you were born, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, the church is praying. Oh, God, they've got Peter and John. They've got our leader, who's Peter is then the leader of the church. And they've got John, you know, one of the key apostles. You know, oh, God, have mercy. So they're praying and all the rest of it. And so that's where this reading comes. They get released. Peter and John get released. They go back to where the guys are hanging out. And this is the reading. <sighs> okay. On their release, verse 23, chapter 4, book of Acts. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That was their response. I love their first response. They don't kind of run fleeing from the building saying, I knew this was a bad idea. You know, I knew this would get us into trouble. My mother was right. I should never have hung out with you guys. You know, none of that. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, and said, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You know, the, 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 what they're doing here is they're using the scriptures they're praying the scriptures back to God, as it were. And they're saying, you know, all these threats and this railing against Jesus and this sort of is, is, is as you planned it would be and said it would be. And it's pointless because you are the sovereign of the universe. It says the kings of the earth arise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. That's Jesus, of course, who's just died and been resurrected weeks before against the Lord and against his Holy One. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, those co-conspirators in the, in the accusation and crucifixion of Jesus, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You know, the Jewish authorities Indeed, Satan himself thought they were getting rid of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but in fact, it was all God's plan that Jesus would go to the cross to die for your sins and mine. It was all part of God's plan. It looked like a disaster. It looked like the wheel had fallen off the mission. But in fact, it was all something that God had anticipated and planned so that Jesus could end up on a cross, so that God himself should bear your sin and mine. And so it goes on, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Isn't that interesting? That's, they're not saying consider their threats and, oh, God, protect us. Oh, help, 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 help. Help us do the very thing that they've said we should not do. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And here it is, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Heal, stretch out your hand, signs and wonders. And after they prayed, it says the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were all filled and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, Peter had been speaking the word pretty boldly up until that point, 
But as a result of this kind of opposition, when, they, when the church gets together to pray and ask for boldness, suddenly they all start speaking boldly. And the Holy Spirit spoke, uh, came upon them and, and, spoke bo- and they spoke boldly. I love that. So what happens then? What happens here is, is actually the threats, the criticism, the undermining comes to naught. Have you ever been threatened because of your, the fact of you're a Christian? Ha- have you ever been undermined because you're a Christian? Have you ever been opposed in the workplace, mocked, ridiculed, because you're a Christian. But we are in a season where if we will look to God and ask for boldness, suddenly all these plans and schemes and strategies that may be leveled against you in the workplace, at home, in your family, whatever, will come to naught. Because God will have his way. The prayer began with sovereign Lord. Sovereign means ruler over everything, all that is seen and unseen. And with God on your side, and with God on our side, we can expect him to do great things. So we, we, we seek God's hand, we ask him to stretch out his hand, and what do we ask him to do? To heal and to perform signs and wonders. Isn't that an interesting expression? Signs and wonders. It speaks elsewhere in the scriptures of of there being many signs and wonders. Signs signs about what? You know, I was wondering about our weather last night. I was wondering whether it meant something. What the scripture says that God sends things that cause us to wonder. Not just those who believe, but those who don't believe, you know. They cause us to wonder. It was funny in this, this program I watched last night. I wish I could remember the title on it because I'm sure you could watch it on, on uh, you know, Catch Up or whatever you have. Uh, you know, two people, uh, 20 people over the last three years have lost their lives in English weather because of trees falling on them or being swept away by floods or all the rest of it. But two, they, talk, they spoke of two rescues. And the rescue services, they use exactly the same phrase on both occasions. They were very difficult rescues. One from a ship that was being you know, shoved against the shoreline and a helicopter had to come down and you know, huge waves and very dangerous. And another was a lady who was swept away by a very swollen river and got caught up in some trees. But the rescue services on both occasions said there was someone looking after them. These are the rescue services. These are the people who, who get trained in all of this thing. They realize that there's a line, that which is natural and that which is not natural. And on on two of these occasions, their comment on this was that there was someone looking after them. Society is beginning to wonder. I bet they're wondering in North America at the moment as they endure extraordinarily sub-zero temperatures. I bet they're wandering on Australia where, where they are experiencing extraordinary bushfires and, and, and terrible heat. You know, signs and wonders, things to wonder. The signs, of course, are more specific. They point very directly to Jesus. It's not airy-fairy or non-specific. Signs point to Jesus. I like the testimony of those, those rescue workers. They, 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 they pointed to God. It'd be wonderful, it'd be fascinating to 
to talk to the people who were rescued and say, well, now you've had a bit of time to reflect. Have you changed your life? What's happened? What are your thoughts about this? Has God come into the equation if he wasn't before? Signs and wonders are sent by God to, to, to stimulate inquiry. There are people that you will invite to Alpha. You're sitting there wondering whether you should invite to Alpha or not. And, uh, and, and when you pluck up the courage, when you find that boldness to invite them along, they will say, it's so strange you should invite me. I was wondering whether I should do Alpha. I want you to sort of email me or come up and say that you, know, you invited somebody along to, to Alpha and they had been thinking about it for some time. Very few people just say, oh, what am I going to do today? It's a bit of a wet Monday. Don't know what I'll do. Oh, I'll go and find out what it is to be a Christian. It doesn't happen like that as a rule. Usually there are conversations. I do know one person that happened, a lady called Gemma. There are probably others. But, but, but the truth of the matter is God is at work in his world. And we pray, Lord, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand to heal. You know, week by week we pray for the sick here. And there are many testimonies. Check them out on the, the story section of, of the website. We produced a booklet last week, of, uh, last year rather, of people who have been healed. And who's, but, but, but more than that, you know, we like to say it's not just about physical healing. We're talking about transformation. People whose lives are being turned around. For me, that's the thing that really excites. You know, I, I think I've told you uh, before that that two or three years ago, we, had, we got all our leaders together and we started talking about discipleship. What do we mean? You know, Jesus said, you know, uh, make disciples. It's not just about preaching the gospel, it's make the disciples. You know, build and fold them. And we, we said, what do we mean when we talk about making disciples? And we kind of brainstormed and blue skied and did things on whiteboards and all sorts of stuff like that. And one of the key evidences of somebody becoming a disciple is that there's transformation that begins to take place in their life. They live life differently. Some of those things are, are, are you know, deliverances from negative and bad traits, you know, and things that they were doing that they shouldn't do. Other things are just that they, they, well, they weren't doing a bad thing, they just weren't doing the best thing. You know, sometimes they say the good is the enemy of the best, you know. But there's this evidence of transformation. So we begin this year and we pray. We, we say, God, stretch out your hand. We, we want, Lord God, boldness. We want to, you know, do those things that you've set on our hearts to do. We want, Lord God, you to heal the sick. We want, Lord God, for you to, to do signs and wonders, things that initiate conversations and, and, and interest. And Lord, we want you. We want you to glorify Jesus in our midst. Please do this thing. And I think, apart from explaining it as I have done, what's the key takeaway? What's the key thing I want you to know? The key thing I want you to know and begin to do all the more than you have already, and include myself in this, is to do what those early Christians did when faced with this situation. They asked. They asked. They didn't have a meeting, a planning meeting, an exec meeting. They didn't panic and rush screaming from the building. They actually had a prayer meeting. 
And devotional worship uh, and devotional uh, prayer is very different to intercessory prayer. I'm going to be teaching a little bit about this tonight, so um, I, I hope that some of you, I've already asked our leaders in particular to join me tonight, but I'm going to be teaching a little bit about what is intercession, what is this, this particular kind of prayer that we are called to, that the early church understood, and it was their first course of action, and boy was it effective, and boy did God honor it. And so if you would like to, it'll only last about an hour, hour and 15, and we'll, we'll do some practical stuff. We will pray. We'll be praying to, uh, tonight for the year. But if you want to learn a little bit more about what intercession is and how it differs from your daily hour of prayers, oh, God, may there be a parking space at work because I can't, really sucks if I have to park down the road, you know, you know all these kind of things that we do, you know. Um, I do as well, you know. But if you want to learn how to pray like the early church did, if you want to ask in a way that God is inclined to listen. Well, then please just join me, and I'll remind you, or I'll teach you for the first time how to do that. Three little things, three little takeaways in case you can't be with me uh, tonight. Um, The first thing, when one prays in an intercessory way, trying to find my notes here just to remind myself, is that we begin with who God is. We begin with the person of God. You know, the early church didn't go into panic mode, as I've already said. They didn't say, oh, God, they're really threatening us. Please do something very quickly. They didn't do that. They began, they began recalling who, who God was, who they were dealing with. And I think the church in the West, in the, in the, in the one-third world, in, in the part, part of the world that we're in, really needs to remind ourselves who God is, because we've really been good over the last 15 to 20 years of, of, of learning, and this is with great respect to my colleagues, Linda and others, the team, you know, the Restore team, we've learned who God as our Father is, and that's right, we need to do that, because that's how Jesus says God reveals himself to us as a Father, but we must recall, we must, must remember who we're dealing with. And the early church understood that, and they began with this accolade, O sovereign God, ruler of the universe. So we begin intercessory prayer with, with uh, the person of God. We then remind ourselves of the promises of God. I'll be t- talking a little bit about this tonight. How we use scripture to remind God of what he said. Now that might, that, that, you know, that warrants a lot more teaching at this moment, but I'm going to sort of tease you and say come along tonight and find out why that is. Why is that necessary? Is God like some sort of old, sort of befuddled gentleman that forgot what he said? You know, oh, I've left my glasses somewhere. You know, oh, silly granddad, they're on your coffee table. It's not like we're coming into God's presence and and he said this, but he's probably forgotten, so we need to remind him. It's not about that. Okay? Come and find out more tonight. Thirdly, We have to recall the purposes of God. Intercession is about what God purposes. And God had purposed to make Christ known. God had purposed for his church 
to be that vanguard of the kingdom of God, that army. You know, we love talking about family and community, but actually the church of Jesus Christ is called to be an army that makes Christ known, that extends the kingdom. And when we come to intercession, you know, the big ask, as it were, we need to remind ourselves what God's agenda is, what's on his heart. And we enter into a dialogue with him where we pray the prayers that he's longing to hear the church pray rather than the car park prayer, which is my prayer. That's where I live. And so, so when we are asking, when we're praying, oh God, stretch me. When we're praying, oh God, stretch the church, Lord, enlarge us. May we take more ground for you. When we pray, oh God, stretch out your hand to heal and bring signs of wonders. All of these things, I I am convinced, are on God's agenda for this year. At our leaders meeting this week, we had a number of prophetic words and one of them was quite simply this, ask. I was so thrilled because I was already working on this. They didn't know. It's that one word, ask. Three letters, ask. Jesus said, you do not have because you do not ask. Oh God, for our neighborhood, for our family, for our city, our region, our nation, we want to ask for deliverance, ask for salvation, ask for healing. And everyone said, amen. Let's have uh, the worship team up. Would you mind standing and we'll just pray together? Heavenly Father, we want, to, uh, we want to align ourselves with your will and your ways, not just what you want to do, but the way you want to do it. And Lord God, we ask that you would give us great boldness. We ask, Lord God, that you would heal, heal the sick, heal the brokenhearted, heal those who are lost and lonely. Lord God, that you would send signs and wonders that would lift up the mighty name of Jesus. We ask, Lord God, that you would have mercy. Lord God, you would show your power. We ask it all in his name. Amen.